Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Media Pass. In this one, I'm sitting down with Matt Issa from basketballnews.com. He also writes for a bunch of other different websites, but we're gonna be talking about the series that he's working on for them called Blazing the Trail. I'm gonna leave the links to all of his stuff in the description, so be sure to go check him out at the end of this episode. All that out of the way, let's go ahead and jump right into it. been interviewing like coaches, uh, players, staff, all sorts of stuff. Um, what's that been like talking to players and being able to hear it from, you know, the horse's mouth, so to speak, um, about all of this awesome basketball? Yeah, I mean, it's stressful. It's stressful. You need to you need to come prepared because they're like they're, you know, obviously they lived it. They lived it. And it's like a weird thing with like storytelling i'm sure you come across this where it's like you know you do your research and all this stuff you watch games and it's like uh you think you know like what happened but you know you're not 100 percent sure so you don't want to like offend them by like interpreting the events the wrong way so that that's always stressful another thing is like and i think we're all starting to realize it recently with like the the gilbert arena stuff that's come out where it's like you have to remember that these guys are paid to coach and to play the game well they're not paid to like know how it works or analyze it or think about it like philosophically like dan tony one thing he said that kind of resonated with me it's like uh you play the game to win you're not you're not trying to change like the philosophy or the the thought process behind it so it's like you have to when you're asking them questions you're trying to have these conversations you're trying to extract that like analysis that we're looking for that we do it's a you have to come at it in an interesting way. It's very interesting the difference between some of the stuff that you know players say and, and the stuff that that coaches say. Um, particularly in your in your breakdown of the Phoenix Suns, um, like the stuff that D'Antoni was saying was like when I was reading it, it it felt so simplistic, but at the same time, it was like a perfect analysis of what was going on and like the philosophy behind why they were doing what they were doing. And I found that really interesting because I think anyone who analyzes basketball, particularly from an outsider perspective, um, like fans, media, etc., um, we can kind of, kind of overthink it and, and overanalyze and, uh, try to look for things that maybe aren't necessarily there, but the way Dan Tony was talking about it, and um, a lot of the people that you interviewed for that particular article, it was really interesting. Like almost how simple it felt, and how simply they talked about it. When to the viewer, it's like such complex stuff, and the plays that you were breaking down, and how they operated in an offensive setting, um, you know, feels very complex. But when they talk about it, it was just like, yeah we did this and it worked. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And you just have to, you have to like, um, none of them are most of these guys. I'm not trying to like insult their intelligence because they're all smart people, especially right. when it comes to basketball, but it's just like, nobody's like Aristotle sitting on the top of a tower and just like pontificating over like, I don't know, all the various like basketball quandaries. They're, they're like, they, they are kind of like me and you, they, they know what needs to be done to keep their job they like their jobs they like their jobs a lot they want to they want to make money um they want to you know feed their families they want to win so they're going to do the things it's like a kyp you know know your personnel we're gonna we're gonna do what maximizes our 
win potential, earning potential with the roster we have. You know, one thing I made a mistake of was when I interviewed Dylan Murphy, the guy who does the, he used to do the basketball dictionary. Now he's an assistant coach for the Orlando Magic. I asked him, can you, I asked him like a philosophical question. It's like, uh, do you think it's possible to win, to have a championship caliber team with uh, like a bad defensive point guard, like a Trey Young-esque point guard? And he's like, honestly, Matt, like, Coaches don't think about that stuff. Like, it's like you're, we have, like, the hand Riddell. You know, the general managers, they do more of that philosophical team-building stuff that we like to talk about. And then once that's, like, done, it's like, okay, this is our roster. This is what their strengths are. This is what their weaknesses are. You know what I mean? And so that's really just kind of the nuts and bolts of it. Yeah. So I saw you did uh, the Andre Kralinko, um <clears throat> piece, which was awesome. Everyone go check it out. Uh, it's seriously so good he's one of those players to me that um we talk a lot about different players who like oh if you take this player and you put him in today's nba would they still be successful you know like these are these were such one-dimensional guys and a lot of guys were were very very good but sometimes very very good at, at very specific things but andre Kralenko is one of those guys who i look at him and i'm like you could put him in today's nba and he would be pound for pound top three defenders in the entire league. And uh, I think you gave some really good perspective on that. Um, did you go into this series with the idea of, I want to do something about Andre Kralenko, or was it something that you were kind of doing this series and, and you came across him or he kind of popped into your mind and you were like, oh, he'd be a good player to do to do a piece on, or, or was it from the outset you were like, I'm going to do something on Andre Kralenko? Yeah, when you, when you set out to do these, like, you know, revolutionary who would have done well in today's era type ordeal things he's like pretty uh, pretty common he's kind of like uh like today you know draymond green he's like the basketball nerd it's like just hero you know right. what I mean? he symbolizes right. all these things that me and you talk about all the time with like i don't know, global what you do for the team you know being a five-on-five -five player as opposed to a one-on-one -on -one player and like carolinka was kind of that guy but when i i think the thing i made a mistake of is, and I try to make this kind of the theme of the article where it's like, you know, we all talk about like what Karolinko could have been in today's game. Like, we make it seem like it's like this Drazen Petrovic type thing where he's like a tragic figure. Like, we never got to see it. You know what I mean? We never got to see it fully realized. But we did. We didn't get to see like a something like an Apex Karolinko um, for a couple of years. He was kind of like a top. And me and Cody Hodek talk about this on the podcast where it's like he's kind of like a top 10, top eight, top 15 guy-ish in that range, in that all NBA range type player during his peak. And I think that's like the, okay, so this is going to sound kind of like paradoxical, but like, so these revolutionary guys, right? They, they, they are, they lose out because during the time when we're watching them, like the analysts of that time didn't know what we knew about basketball now. So, like, they were underrated in that sense. Like, Reggie Miller, there's no reason why he's only got, what is it, five all-star appearances? You're talking about one of the, you know, 40, 50 best players that ever lived has five all-star appearances. But, like, so he's underrated by the analysts, but he actually benefits by zagging what everyone else would have zigging. So, like, for example, Reggie Miller at his best, you know, he's probably like a top seven, eight player in the league, right? Top eight, top seven, something like that. But if you take Reggie Miller 
you know, the revolutionary player, put him in today's game, just like as he is, he's actually probably worse than he would have been back then. Just because like the league is kind of, you know, the whole point of him being revolutionary is he's ushered in this, this wave of skills. that's now become kind of like commonplace, like the idea of gravity. We have a couple of guys now who, who, um, who kind of bend the floor the way he did off ball. Uh, when me and Mike Prater talked about it on that podcast, it was like, we kind of came to the conclusion that he's probably like hierarchically somewhere between Curry and Thompson, Clay Thompson, you know? So that's like obviously less mathematically than a top seven, eight player. So you get what I'm getting at. Like they, and now I'm just going on in circles, but I said it's paradoxical. <laughs> so I warned you guys, but um, <laughs> they benefit, they benefit by being outcasts during their time. And then at the same time, they also have this like just kind of permeating effect where their, their games are now present in today's game. Right. I think that uh, another player that you can look at for that specifically is, is Bill Walton is a lot of people Mm -hmm. look at Bill Walton and they're like what he was doing. Like we see stuff that Jokic does. We see kind of the way that like Sabonis passes out of the the high post and um, you know, how he's able to find cutters and stuff. Uh, and then you go back to Bill Walton and you watch him play and you see what he was doing and you're like, wow, that was so far ahead of, uh, ahead of his time. It wasn't something that we had seen before. And it doesn't necessarily mean that like you put that player in today's NBA, is it still going to be as effective? Are they doing it on as high of a level as these players were doing it? Like obviously Jokic is one of, you know, the greatest offensive centers that we have ever seen. And the way he's passing is like, completely revolutionary are we saying that bill walton would come into today's nba and be as good of a passer as Jokic? not necessarily but like you said there's a benefit of the doubt there just because it was so ahead of its time like uh pete maravich is another great example like the way he was shooting the ball obviously we have very limited records of of what he was actually doing numbers wise but um going back and watching what he was doing, it's like, oh my gosh, this was insane. Pete Maravich is one of very few examples that I think could be very successful in the NBA just because in terms of like deep three-point shooting, it was one of those things that like, wow, unguardable. You can't really do anything against it because when a guy is hitting shots from 30 feet out, are you really going to come 30 feet out to guard him? Chances are you're just going to let him shoot it. Um, But those are examples that are just super limited. And uh, Reggie Miller, I think, is kind of one of those examples where you can look at and say, he was amazing for his time, but that doesn't necessarily mean that skill level would have translated one-to-one in today's Mm -hmm. NBA, just because I think defenses have just gotten better and um, it's just not as easy to get good three-point looks anymore as it was back then. Um, just because teams weren't really game planning for it. Yeah, there's that. And it's like, if you think of like economics, it's like, you know, basic supply and demand. So like the supply of like these off ball, you know, gravity engines like Miller, very, very scarce. So like there's a huge like demand for, even if the league didn't realize it at the time, like that's the kind of guy you want on your team. You know what I mean? Whereas nowadays, it's still not like as commonplace as some of the skill sets we talk about, like the Richard Lewis stretch four thing. That's like every team has one of those now, but like you still have like a handful of Reggie Miller-esque players, you know what I mean? So it's like that 
value in nutshells like it's just not as valuable you know what i mean as yeah. it's still like incredibly valuable and it's like one of the i think the the thing that people need to keep in mind whether we knew it or not the things that win basketball games have pretty much always been the same and i think that's like the core the core thing the crux of this series you know what i mean like for example steve nash great at you know getting in the paint getting his two feet in the paint maintaining that dribble keeping all the defenders eyes locked on him hypnotizing them with his gaze allowing marion and stoudemire to you know cut through the seams and get easy layups that kind of thing you know today if you watched the Warriors and Mavs Eastern Conference, Western Conference Finals, excuse me, you hear, I don't know who was on the broadcast. It might have been the Van Gundy crew, um, the Jeff and Mark Jacks crew. It might have been, I can't remember, but they keep talking about how Luka needs to get more paint touches, you know, because that stuff has always mattered, being able to collapse the defense to get in the paint, you know. So I think that's the key The key thing to, to really take as you, like, analyze these historical players. It's like, okay, like, the game – the X's and O's, they're, they're all the same. The only real major difference is, like, spacing now and the change with the legal defense stuff being nullified. So it's just, like, it's, uh, I don't know. I, I Basically what I said, the same, like, those core concepts, the things that we know now today have always existed. We just didn't know it at the time. Yeah. Real quick, I, I realized I didn't even let you introduce your series. Uh, yeah, give, 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 give a rundown of, of your series because um, you've kind of hinted at it and, and given overarching themes of what it's about. Mm. But, you know, give us the, the elevator pitch of, of your series and what you've been doing. Yeah, the Don Draper, the Don Draper salesman pitch. Um, so basically, Blazing the Trail is a 10-part article and podcast series. It spotlights 10 revolutionary players from the 90s and 2000s kind of breaks down the the um the lineage of some like important skill sets you know we talk about stretch fours we talk about the ability to maintain your dribble in the paint you know get two feet in the paint you hear that a lot we talk about later on in the series we're gonna talk about like pull-up three-point shooting we talk about defensive versatility the use of data in sports all that stuff and it's comes out pretty much every thursday there's some bye weeks in there just to help me catch up with research, but it's pretty cool. I mean, I have a bunch of interviews, you know, we talked about Mike D'Antoni, you know, you got George Carl in there, uh, Nate McMillan. They're going to be on this week's episode. Very fun. It's on basketballnews.com. Uh, yeah. All right. Yeah. It's been, it's been really, really cool. Um, I think, uh, a lot of, a lot of stuff that's being written right now, it's, it's great to get analysis from a specific person and your analysis is great. I mean, your understanding of the game and the way you describe things and specifically the, the play breakdowns, which I want to talk about a little bit um, later on, but uh, it's good to actually hear from players and staff and coaches that were involved um, to actually, you know, like I said earlier, hear from the horse's mouth because we don't get to hear that all the time. Um, you know, post game, post game interviews and um, stuff like that. It's very much, you know, people are giving their PR safe answers. They're not really being asked hard hitting questions about like what's happening on the court. It's usually very narrative driven, but when you're actually able to hear these coaches and players and people involved, hear them talk about it um, and hear them describe things, I think it adds an entirely different layer because you're seeing things the way that they see them, which is, you know, from a true basketball perspective. Yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree. And the cool thing, 
I think about this series. Well, first of all, like this is like a kind of a, a trade secret. Not really a trade secret. Anybody who like does like reporting and stuff will probably say the same thing. But it's like the the coaches that aren't working right now, they're like they they will talk all day. Like they they don't mind. You know what I mean? So they'll talk all day. And then the other cool thing is like you said, PR safe answers. These these things have already happened. You know, there's no like there's nothing that could nothing bad that could happen from talking about them. So I think people are a little bit less guarded, even like the coaches that are currently in the league, like for example, you know, Dwayne Casey, I talked to him for the Dirk Nowitzki stuff. He was like the, the defensive coordinator of those championship Dallas Mavericks teams. And, you know, he's like very like just open and candid about, you know, kind of what went down there because like, it's like, why does he care? You know, he coaches the Pistons now. So what happened in Dallas like 10, 15 years ago, it really doesn't, matter to him it doesn't mess with you know his his pay which is really important to to most of us right is there has there been anyone that for this series specifically that you've thought about that you you really wanted to interview or ask some questions that you haven't been able to and they were just like really high on your list and you just unfortunately weren't able to to get them to talk with you yeah well okay so i'm not gonna say I'm not gonna say it hasn't happened. You don't have to hear yet. anybody out. <laughs> no, no, I'm not gonna say it hasn't happened yet because I'm still, I'm still like fingers crossed trying to track him down. But one of the players I'm, I'm spotlighting in the series, the end of the series, gonna be Chris Weber, and oh, yeah. you know, really trying to get him. I know his old high school coach. Um, I got I interviewed him for the Shane Battier episode, so we're trying to, we're trying to track him down. But um, yeah, Chris is. I feel like Chris will be a fun one to talk to. Oh another, yeah, for another, sure. Mm, He's uh, he's one yeah. of those players that fits the mold of like ahead of their time. Kind of fits mm-hmm. that same theme. Of course, yeah, because he's like uh, you mentioned Bill Wall, and he reminds me a lot of Bill Wall in with the. But I just think that he adds like another layer of scoring that Bill Wallen didn't have. Um, I'll talk about it a little bit later when his time comes. But he's kind of like the the precursor to the modern day passing hub, the modern day like big hub you know like the dribble handoff hub with like the bams and the Jokic's and all that stuff he kind of he kind of has some of that before they do of course because he played in the league before them but yeah yeah it's cool you highlighting these players because I think it it, you know everything is comparisons nowadays like everyone Mm -hmm. has to have a player comp everyone's like oh this person's the modern day blank and uh for some of these more niche players um you know, not that like Chris Weber wasn't some ubiquitous name or anything like that. Like, obviously, mm-hmm. he was a very, very popular player. Reggie Miller was one of the most popular players in the NBA for a very, very, very long time. But these more, like you said, trailblazers, um, the whole title of the series, uh, it is cool seeing them and kind of getting a more specific understanding of their archetype and the parallels to players today, like uh, like Chris Weber, you said like the offensive hub of like dribble handoffs and stuff like that. Like you look at a guy like Robert Williams, Robert Williams is someone who very much fits that role. And we think that a lot of these things are new things. We think they're, mm-hmm. you know, things that haven't existed before, but the fundamentals of the game, the, the overarching goals of the game have always been there. It's just how much priority was being placed on these things, um, what kind of context and situations and circumstances existed to make these things viable options. And I think back then, you know, for a very specific number of teams, it worked very well. And 
now it's like, oh, for every team, these are somewhat universal things that everyone can kind of operate under the same philosophies. Yeah, hundred percent. And it's like, um, you know, you're big, I'm, you know, Alex, me and you know each other and I know that you, you love reading. Right. Right. And one of the common themes in like, uh, European, uh, European Eastern, Eastern hemisphere history is like the, the running notion that you don't, you don't invade Russia in, in the middle of winter. Right. Right. You know, famous like tyrants have done that failed, whatever. And so it's like, you know, people make the joke. It's like, well, if they had, you know, if they'd done their reading, if they'd read their history, they would know better than that. And it's like, people ask me like, why do you watch, you know, seventies, eighties basketball? There's so much great basketball today. Like I can watch in the off season. Like there's the WNBA, there's the, the Euro league, there's all, there's all these youth basketball stuff. And it's just like, I want to get the context of it. You know, I think it's all like, it's all there. The answers to all this stuff. Like you, you mentioned the plays, like they're all the same. It's like, the Warriors, they run that uh, post split action, you know, Draymond in the post and then like Curry and Clay will run by each other, set a screen, whatever. The Blazers are running that in the 70s, <laughs> Blazer Mania with Bill Walton, you know. Steve Kerr's Chicago Bulls are running that in the triangle. You know, the team they used to play in the finals, the Utah Jazz used to run split actions. It's all, it's all like, it's all there, you know, just like the answer to effectively taking over an entire nation was also there for, you know, Adolf Hitler. If he would have just read, you know, what happened to Napoleon, okay, he probably maybe we'd be speaking German. I don't know. So <laughs> it's uh it's I think uh it was actually the Victory Machine, which is a fantastic book about the mm -hmm. construction of the Kevin Durant era warriors. Um obviously leading up to that, you had the the dynasty warriors that broke out. Um, but the book does a really good job of chronicling um Bob Myers and his his tenure and uh, kind of how all of that came to be and the financial stuff. And one of my favorite parts of the book is when they're talking about Steve Kerr's uh, basically process to becoming the head coach. And um, Steve Kerr was like, there's nothing new under the sun. He's like, everything that I do coaching, all the plays, all of the philosophy stuff, He's like, all of this is bits and pieces taken from other coaches throughout the history of the NBA that I have turned into this Frankenstein of my own coaching style. And it, on the subject of reading and, and literature, uh, there's this really great book that I read and it kind of is something that I apply to my content. It's called Steal Like an Artist. And it's one of the most mm -hmm. impactful books that I've ever read. Um, if, if you're interested in, in making content, making art, making music, anything creative, anything that involves you making your own thing, the entire idea of the book is that we all have inspiration for specific things that we want to do. If you make music, you may be inspired by like artists from the 90s. You may be inspired by, you know, 2010s pop or something like that. And you take all these different elements from all of these different artists throughout history and you put them together and you draw inspiration from one thing for this and another thing for that. And all of a sudden, like Steve Kerr said, you've got this Frankenstein monster of your own style and did you steal it, so to speak? Yes, but it's indistinguishable from the predecessors that you drew that inspiration from. And especially in basketball, it's so prevalent because there are going to be coaches that look at Steve Kerr and they, they're going to be like, I want to model my 
my coaching after Steve Kerr. I want to um, run the same type of offense. I want to operate, uh, you know, on a personal level in the same way that Kerr does. Um, but you can't just do a one-to-one copy of that because it's not going to work. There's obviously personnel stuff that goes into that. There's personality stuff that goes into that. There's financial stuff. Um, but when you're drawing inspiration from all these various different things, uh, you're ultimately able to tailor it to your situation and the needs, um, which all of this is kind of a tangent away from what we were talking no, it's about. A, but <laughs> it is actually, it's actually like directly involved what we're talking about, like in every, that's one of the reasons I really wanted to do this, um, this uh, series is because like, so I, I talked about this on a different podcast, but it was, uh, as a kid, I used to love like, you know, anime and like these expansive universes where there's like all these different rich characters and everything's kind of like, think of like The Wire. You've watched The Wire, oh, right? I, I love The yeah, Wire. Yeah, exactly. That's why that, I remember now we've talked, I think we've talked about The Wire, but yeah. like, it's like this, you know, like all the pieces matter. That's like the, the whole foundation, the whole central theme of The Wire. All the pieces matter. They're all connected in some weird way. And like with this, that's why I have a section in every article called weaving the thread. And it's just trying to, to kind of put it all together. You know, that's why I chose the nineties and two thousands for the kind of central theme, central focus of this whole series. Cause I know, like we said, nothing, there's nothing new. There was nothing new in the nineties and two thousands. Like, it's just like, like you said, these innovators kind of putting together the pieces of the kind of their experience like for example um nash and d'antoni right that's a perfect example nash his two favorite players growing up isaiah thomas and michael jordan right i didn't get to bring put, put the michael jordan piece into the article just for word constraints but like um i talk about it with isaiah thomas where isaiah thomas was very good at just dribbling in the paint you know knifing his way through defenders making lay down passes and all that stuff and then jordan had this like incredible footwork among other things right and you know you see like with nash he's able to kind of coalesce these things and then he also has the hockey background right have you i don't know how familiar you are with hockey but um yeah you know i have i have a very surface level understanding mm -hmm. yeah so there's i also surface level and i kind of only learn this specific term for the sake of the article but there's a term called icing where an offensive player will like They'll kind of circle behind the net, trying to trying to get the defenders to let up so they can have an opening for a pass or something's an assist, whatever. I, I'm not familiar with the exact terminology, but like if you think about it, with the gnashing, you know, it's it's very similar where he's probing around and around until the defense breaks. You know, of course, let it. Um, I'll be like, uh, would you would you look at that? Like Steve Nash is Canadian, you know, the capital of hockey, so. It's all like these pieces, like you said, you know, even Mike D'Antoni, he told me, he's like, my coaching style is like a mixture of all the think coaches I've been around. You know, he, when he played at University of Marshall, their center was 6'5", so a small ball center. When um, he was coaching overseas in Italy, I forget, I think it was Dale Davis was the big man. I'm pretty sure Dale or Antonio Davis, one of the Davis brothers, they're not brothers, but I just call them that. <laughs> but um, one of the Davises, he was like a rim runner, like Stoudemire. And then when he played under Doug Moe for a month, legendary fast break coach, you know, he plays at this breakneck speed and one of those Nuggets teams with Alex English. So it's like just this amalgamation of all of that stuff. 
it's kind of like what you're talking about. So it's not, you're not going on a tangent, man. Well, you were going on a tangent, but it was a relevant tangent. And now I'm on a tangent. So we're even, but, but I realized Patreon pods are not supposed to be formal. So right. that's good. Yeah. Um, it's funny you mentioned Isaiah Thomas because he's someone that I think public opinion is skewed very much because when you think about Isaiah Thomas, you think of the bad boy Pistons and mm-hmm. like the first thing that comes to your head is like them throwing Michael Jordan to the ground because that's kind of what everyone's been programmed to think about when they hear Isaiah Thomas or the bad boys Pistons. But uh, I was actually this was like six months ago. Someone told me to do a top five point guards of all time. And I hate ranking players. And mm-hmm. um, it always like just ends up with me splitting hairs and like it's never a fruitful endeavor for me, but uh, I did a lot of research into Isaiah Thomas and um, watching him handle the ball and the way he kind of just kept defenses at bay and kept them like literally on a thread. Um, it was so, I've said this a billion times in this episode, but ahead of its time, like mm-hmm. Isaiah Thomas's ball handling ability really doesn't, get the credit that it deserves because you think about all of the dribble moves and the ball handling ability that modern point guards are expected to have. And it's like the prerequisite, like you have to have this. And Isaiah Thomas was doing it really before anybody else. It was so, so skilled. And that's a word that gets thrown around a lot because it's just like a hot button word. Like, Oh, is Kyrie Irving the most skilled player in the NBA is like a tweet that I see about a billion Mm -hmm. times a month. But Isaiah Thomas's skill level when handling the ball is you watch it in the parallels to the league today. It's just, it blows me away how little acknowledgement and kind of education to the general NBA masses as a whole that gets, because to me, it's very important to modern guard play. Yeah. And it's like, well, first of all, I don't know if you've seen the recent uh, thinking basketball video where he kind of goes through like the evolution of officiating and I stuff. I haven't gotten I don't to know. it yet. Okay. Yeah. But you know what I'm talking about though, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, so like for Isaiah to be able to do that stuff where they're kind of more uh, strict about calling travels and all that, you know, it's cool. And it's just like, my thing is like, you can, cause the problem is the people who appreciate history. So they're, okay. First of all, like our people, our age, we're young, we're both our early mid twenties. Right. And it's like a lot of people our age are like, you know, they're custodians and janitors. Like this is what they, I don't want to hear about them. Like JJ Reddick even says, it, you know what I mean? And it's like, no, but also at the same time, like the old school people, they can't like talk about their time in an appreciative way without kind of attacking modern you know what i mean so like both sides are just like there's just too much like polarity there you know what i mean where it's like both sides think that they're just so much better than the other where it's just like why don't we just appreciate like all of these players because we've had so many skilled and like rich it's like like we said with the wire like why would we worry about just like the the drug related characters and then like the police really like i like the police related characters or more or i like the drug related characters more where it's like they're both like just filled with like rich layers and there. There's so many things to love about all of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's something that the NBA could definitely do a better job of is educating and putting Mm -hmm. more of a spotlight. I think for the NBA 75 stuff, they, they did a decent job with like, you know, players from the sixties and seventies, like giving them their fair due. Um, and even the fifties, uh, I think they did a little bit better of a job with it. And I think, maybe there's a trend in the right direction in that aspect of, okay, we have all of these players and 
this era is kind of viewed as lesser and less talented. And these guys were plumbers, janitors, milkmen, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's These are just buzzwords that get thrown around so much. But, but the reality is so much different than the current zeitgeist around it. And mm-hmm. uh, I think it's just really frustrating how the discourse is affected by that because instead of looking through looking at these players through an untinted lens, it's very much um, whatever the opposite of rose-colored glasses is, that's how they're looked at. And I think that's just a shame because there's so much fun talent throughout those eras that just gets missed out on. I agree 100%. Um, I always joke like with like, you know, whoever else will listen, but I want to just learn enough about the game where when it's time for the top 100, like I'll, I'll be able to make my own personal list and I'll feel comfortable. You know, it won't just be like the things I read in like a sports illustrated article. You know what I mean? Cause like that, like you have to think at the same time, it's like, you can't like always blame like certain analysts for some takes. Cause like the resources available to them at the time, it's like, it's not as good as we do now. And so it's like this self-perpetuating like cycle of just kind of like violence where it's like, so, you know, some analysts messed up like during their analysis of a player in the eighties, nineties, then we keep going, keep going. And then like today, instead of like trying to fix it or a little bit or something, we either just keep going with it or it's like, uh, we just completely deny the thing. It's like, okay, it's all wrong. We have to throw it all away. They're generous plumbers. You know what I mean? Right. And so, yeah, you also, you also said another thing where we talk about, I just want to mention this and I know it's like conversation one-on-one not to bring up old stuff that we've already moved on past, but I'm going to do it anyways. <laughs> do it. When you were talking about like people talking about like people want to say like Kyrie Irving is the most skilled at this or like, I've just noticed that like, especially in sports, people love to talk in like hyperbole and just draws you like, have you ever noticed like Max Kellerman? He'll say like, he'll say something like super specific and he'll say, he's the greatest at all time. He'll say like Kyrie Irving is the most skilled under the rim ball handler of all the time, like all time. And it's just like, yeah, maybe, but like, that's just like, okay, cool. (laughs) But I don't know. It's just, it's just what draws people's attention and the people who do it the best also have like a large following. So I guess it works for them, you know? Right. And it's unfortunate, but at the same time, it, it gives us content to talk about and stuff yeah, to, true. you know, tr- trashing uh, Skip Bayless and Max Kellerman and mm-hmm. Shannon Sharp and all those guys on Twitter is, you know, easy engagement. But uh, mm-hmm. back to the series. <laughs> uh, personally, my favorite piece that you've all of them have been amazing. Um, Thank you. But one that's really close to my heart because this position is my favorite position and kind of archetype. In the NBA, I think it's um, so versatile, and I think it's one of the things that has become a a massive, massive staple in the NBA was the Richard Lewis piece about him being kind of the the prototype for a stretch four. And uh, what you can obviously go and look at Richard Lewis, and you can see like, oh, he was a stretch four. But what about him made you initially, from first glance, be like? Richard Lewis, like for sure, it's going to be, I'm, I'm going to talk about Richard Lewis. Um, what was the process to come to that conclusion where you were like, I'm going to talk about Richard Lewis for this because he is the stretch four. Yeah. So first of all, my boss at basketball news, who's coincidentally name is also Alex. 
he um huge orlando magic fan and he's like a good friend of richard lewis's i guess so he was kind of like we need to have richard in this but like so that that kind of like it kind of motivated me to do it a little bit but you know he's obviously giving me a lot of autonomy and as i was looking through it and it's like okay again like we said this is nothing new the stretch four you can go back to dolph shays he was kind of like a stretch four you know and then if you look at like terry mills or uh matt bullard um who else? I'm just thinking off the top of my head, just some obscure guys. Uh, I mean, Robert or- Robert Ory is not obscure, but he was like a stretch four-ish on those like, right. Tom Janovich Rockets. Uh, you know, Tuan. Tuan was stretch four with those pull-up threes. But I think the thing about Lewis, and so in the comments um, on the Lewis article, I saw somebody say, like, it's Dirk. Dirk is the stretch four. Why isn't Dirk? And I talk about Dirk. We're going to talk about Dirk later. And, um, Dirk's revolutionary for something a little bit different than that. I think people get it kind of mixed up what his impact is. But um, the reason I go with Lewis is, and I think Jordan Sperber kind of does a good job of going over this in a, a video on YouTube. He does, he did pretty recently, but it's like, it's, it's not about Lewis being the stretch for it's about channeling his spacing gravity to create like just a, a really, really good, three-man offense with Hito, him, and Dwight Howard. So there's a play, their magic's pet action, right? It was it was called a thumb-down spread. And it's just a middle pick, middle spread pick-and-roll, right, where Hito Turkaloo's at the middle of the court. He gets a ball screen from Dwight Howard. And they're both rolling, right? And Lewis will lift up from the, the low block to the top of the arc, so where Hito was originally. And so... You have Ito Turkaloo's um, pull-up gravity making it so that you kind of don't want to give him space. You have Dwight Howard's rim running, so you don't want to give him a runway. And then it's like Lewis, his three-point shooting kind of pulls. It's like the, the piece that makes the puzzle because if you don't have Lewis, you could theoretically go and put two to the ball on Turkaloo and then have the low man rotate over, right? So you make like a little three on two, and then you, the other two guys kind of zone up the three guys. But with Lewis and just the volume he was able to handle as a three-point shooter and just that total package and his ability to kind of move a little bit that he learned from Ray Allen and his time with him. But uh, I think that's really the, – the thing is, like, about this series that I kind of want to – it's about highlighting the players, but it's also about highlighting the, the kind of the progression of the skill. You know what I mean? It's like – so it's – because – I don't know if you noticed, but most of these 10 guys I picked, there's like a lot of nostalgia around them. Like, you know, Lewis, people love him. He's like a vibes right. guy, yeah. you know? Yeah, He's for got sure. Just great vibes to him. And so you get to, you get that, you get to enjoy the Lewis, but you also get to learn about how we got to this point. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I think uh, what you said about how it's less about the player um, and more about like maximizing the skill, it's really like, you know, the player existed, the, this type of player has existed, the stretch four. Mm-hmm. There have been, you know, six, seven, six, eight, six, nine, six, ten guys who can shoot threes before. That's not, it's not a new concept, but the players where having that talent and that specific skill set maximized around them with the pieces and the schemes that you run, that's really where the key, to me, with this series, it's been really interesting to see how those specific skill sets that we look at as kind of more um, 
archetypal, uh, more specific, more quote unquote niche, uh, how those skills are maximized to be able to derive all of those advantages that they create, um, which has been by far the most interesting part of this series to me. Obviously, hearing from the coaches and stuff is is great, but that all serves to highlight the context of everything going on around these players. Yeah. You said you explained it in a lot cooler way than I could, but yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, there's one player that, and I know he's not, he, he, you know, he was an all-star player, so it's not like he's very niche or anything like that. It's not like people don't know who he is, but one player that I went back and watched the, uh, a bunch of the, Los Angeles Lakers, uh, Showtime era Lakers championship runs. And yeah. um, one player that really stuck out, uh, stuck out to me that like ever since I watched this, this was like probably a year ago, ever since I watched this series, like I cannot get this player out of my head. But James Worthy, he is one player that I watched and I was like, oh my gosh, this guy would be so good in the NBA today. He like, very much has a lot of the skill sets that are like quote unquote generic, but he just did everything so well. And, um, I don't know if you're going to, I don't know how many, uh, how many articles do you have left? And, um, I don't know if you plan on talking about him, but he was one player that when you kind of talked about this series, he was one player that I thought of and was like, he would be a good player. Like if you were going to talk about players who were ahead of their time and kind of more of like a supporting player, that wasn't necessary. He doesn't have the ball in his hand all the time. He's not, you're not going to be running your off, offense through him 24 seven, you know, magic and Kareem were the guys on those teams. Uh, they were the, the hubs, mm-hmm. but to me, James worthy, you don't have that success without what he brought to the table. Yeah. So, um, I studied, you know, I got to study a lot of the all time greats when I did the quest for the best about a year and a half ago. And, you know, obviously, you know, James is very much in the thick of those magic runs. I actually do get to watch a little bit of magic stuff as I do the Penny, the Penny Hardaway, because, you know, Penny's on the record as saying like magic's his guy. He loves magic. He idolized him. And very, you can see a lot of similarities in their games. So, of course, you know, James, James pops a lot, like you said. And he's like one of the rare guys who's like this narrative that people have attached to him. It's actually like true. You know, he, he really does like kind of level up to the occasion, you know, big game, James, whatever. He's, he's really damn good when it counts, you know, and he plays in a lot of big games just by like the nature of being on a dynasty, you know, um, he's a great, like you said, he's good, like switch defender. He's got strong body. He gets size up, go down really good isolation score, which is huge for those Lakers teams. Cause like as Kareem gets older, and Magic's not really like a conventional like ISO break you down guy. So having Worthy was it's really helpful those teams. And then you know of course in transition as a finisher, sometimes as an initiator. Yeah, he was awesome. Now about in today's game, like of course like we have to get into the whole conversation of the jumper. How does that translate? You know, right. with all the reps and stuff. I'm sure yeah. I'm sure he figures something out. And he's kind of like a pseudo small ball five today, and that'd be really cool. But yeah, James is he's an awesome player and. You know, some of his takes, um, I know he's a, he's a commentator now, and yeah. I can hear his takes sometimes, <laughs> and I cringe, but, you know, you can't have everything. 
this this kind of uh, this question just popped into my head uh, because it's such a hot button thing nowadays. Uh, what's your take on the debate around modern or not modern player, but uh, you know players talking about the game and kind of this philosophy that if you haven't played the game at the highest level, then your takes don't hold as much weight. Um, how do you how do you view that debate? What is your opinion towards that? And uh, I don't know, the thing that obviously is so prevalent right now is what Gilbert Arenas was heavily alluding to about Giannis. I don't think they ever actually mentioned Giannis mm-hmm. by name, but it was it was very, very clear that they were talking about Giannis. Um, how do you view this this debate right now? Well, just really quickly, as an aside, it's so weird to me that, like, former players have this thing with Giannis because, like, he's the guy who's, like, kind of taken on their old-school beliefs. Like, I don't want to play with anybody. I don't want to leave my team. I'm, you know, I don't want to have any friends. So it's, like, weird that they've kind of, you know, I don't know, distanced themselves from him, but that's that's a different subject in and of itself. Like, a little bit of context in my life. I'm, uh, you know, I'm about 5'9". Um, I, I, I'm, like, a, a very pitbull-esque like a uh, pickup defender and you know, i play hard i like to think all the hours of film that i've put in have made me a little bit better of a passer but i'm not like you know i wasn't i wasn't doing anything as a basketball player so i kind of have to be on the side of like you know you didn't have to play the game to understand it now so we kind of talked about this where it's like you have to keep in mind that these players they get paid to be good at basketball right and some guys it's their game to be able to analyze it and to see things that kind of no one else sees like Draymond. Okay. For example, the reason his insights good, like he's got really good insight. He's got a great podcast. It's cause like he had to make his bones off of being like a high IQ guy, you know, whereas arenas had this, like, I haven't studied him in depth from what I remember of his game, you know, really like really strong first step, great shooter, great handle, you know, that, that doesn't really like, like he doesn't, need to be a film rat you know i'm sure he watched plenty of film he cared a lot about the game but he didn't need to be like a a film rat so like i think my take is being a former player you get i mean because at the end of the day like me and you have missed out on like time to learn about the game because we've had to do other things like work like work real jobs so that's just like mathematically speaking that's hours off of our plate where we can't watch and learn Right. What's going to help you give insight about the game is doing it, learning it, being around people who know it. So like the players do have a leg up because they get more reps naturally, but you know, it's up to them to take advantage of it. You know what I mean? Like we all, like me and you we're both, uh, we both got our bachelor's degrees, right? Right. Not everyone who got like a, I got a criminal justice bachelor's degree. Not everyone who got a criminal justice bachelor's degree knows as much as I do. Cause like there's ways to like get around the system without knowing things and at the same time, there's people who have the same degree as me who know more than me because they went above and beyond to learn these things. You know, so it, I think it's the same thing with basketball. So I mean, that's my little spiel on it. Yes. Well, yeah, it's like if someone, you know, if someone's a, a serial killer and mm-hmm. they go out and kill a bunch of people like they know why they did it. They know the psychology behind why they did it. You know, I'm sure they they can look at it introspectively and know. But, uh, you know, a criminal psychologist is still going to know a lot about why a serial killer kills somebody. Like they're going to be able to learn about that. And, you know, it's the same with sports. You can look at it and, and, 
and be like, yeah, you know, I understand why they did this here. I understand the philosophy behind it. I understand the overarching uh, context and, and the circumstances that made this certain thing occur on the court at any given time. You know, there. <laughs> You know, we're going to defend pick and rolls this way because this player does this thing or that player does that thing. Um, you don't need to play the game to have an understanding of why things happen. And that's one of the advantages that, you know, viewers of basketball have is that we have the advantage of hindsight. We're able to go back and look at things. We're able to analyze it after the fact. And, you know, my entire channel is built around doing film breakdown and you know statistical analysis and stuff like that and the advantage that i have is hindsight but when you're actually playing the game you know i played soccer in high school i loved playing soccer it was so fun i had a blast i, I was fairly decent at it but i didn't go home and watch soccer i didn't re-watch the games after i played in them i wasn't watching the premier league every day you know it's just it, you don't necessarily have to fully educate yourself on the thing that you are interested in. Like just cause I play video games doesn't mean that I'm going to learn how a video game is made. You know, it's just not mm -hmm. something I'm particularly interested in. Uh, and I think that's really an idea that people need to get out of their heads. It's like, Oh, this person has never touched a basketball in their life. And you know, just cause, just cause you haven't touched a basketball in your life. Just cause I, uh, just because I haven't fought in a world war doesn't mean I can't study World War II. And it's, mm -hmm. it's just obnoxious uh, seeing how that whole argument is treated. And I get it from both sides. Like, obviously, Draymond Green is going to have a better basketball mind, although some of his takes lately have been just out of control. Uh, but that's an entirely different discussion. But in a vacuum, you know, Draymond Green, his basketball mind compared to average NBA YouTuber, it's like, Oh yeah, Draymond Green's probably going to know a little bit more, but that doesn't mean I can't do my best to learn about it. No, a hundred percent. It's like you know, I kind of use the analogy of school. Like you know, your goal is to get like a four point oh GPA. Okay, so your goal is not to to learn everything there is about. Like I mean, Mike D'Antoni said it. He said his goal is to win an NBA championship. It's not to learn the like the the entire history of the game of basketball. You know what I mean? He's he's admitting his own ignorance. You know, he's saying like, okay, I'm not. I don't want to know how the Utah Jazz defend ball screens. I just want to know how we should exploit their defense. Like, you know, so no, I agree with you. I think, I think the people who it's kind of like a, it's part of our, like, this is like a whole deeper psychological kind of thing where it's like, and we already talked about serial killers and like world war two and like fascist regimes. So we might as well just keep going. But <laughs> it's like, um, it's like in our psychology, you kind of, it's part of their survival instinct. I think some of these former players where it's like, okay, I want, you know, I, my identity revolves around being like one of the, the 1% at what I do, you know? And so like, it's, you know, it's in our nature to be a little gatekeepy about things. Even, you know, I'm sure I've done it. I'm sure you've done it. We've talked about this game in a way where it's like, in a way it's not like our, our main intention is not to, to educate just to make ourselves feel smart you know we've done it before i'm sure like you've done it, i've done it that's not my goal i i'm trying right. to learn from instances like that but you know we people have moments of gatekeepiness and i think that's kind of what goes on 
with some of the athletes making those comments or like the people who, those are the weirdest people to me, the people who weren't athletes, but still think that only athletes are qualified to talk about it. It's like some self hate they have for themselves, but yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what does, uh, what's your next move after, after this series? Do you have, I, I guess more what I'm asking is, I don't know. Do you do basketball content? Is this your full-time thing right now? Or you're, so, you're in law school, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm in law school. Um, not a great law school student. I'm not going <laughs> to lie to you. I have, uh, I spend a lot of time on basketball, not enough time on school. Um, but yeah, it's just going to cover, I'm ready to cover this season. I think I've, I've learned a lot this off season. So I think I can, I can be really helpful with some things to some people, hopefully for sure. My next move is to watch like, HD basketball again. Uh, it's going to be a long time before I, I after <laughs> yeah. I'm done with this, like no more 480p. Yeah, no exactly. more 480p. Four, I wish, I wish I was getting 480. I wish, like today, I downloaded a couple of Dirk games from the early 2000s. I got to watch. It's like 360p. <sighs> Thanks, you know. And it's just like, so yeah, I want to watch like you know modern day basketball again. I want to watch a game and not know what the final score is before I start. That'll be cool. Um, so yeah, I just want to cover the season. No more big projects for a while. I just want to just kind of keep doing that. You know, I cover the league, you know, at basketball news, a couple other places. So just keep writing, keep, keep talking about the game with guys like you keep like randomly DMing each other weird questions in the middle of the night, <laughs> just that kind of stuff, you know, normal yeah. stuff. Is, is your ultimate goal to work in basketball, um, you know, on a full-time basis? Cause obviously yeah. you're, you're getting a law degree. Do you want to, mm -hmm. I know a lot of guys who work in, in front offices and um, particularly agents, agents, a lot of the times will have law degrees. Um, is that something that you're eyeing down the road or how do you kind of view that? Uh, I want to work full time in basketball, but I, I don't want to be an agent. I want to yeah. like, you know, be a part of like the analysis stuff and all that. So yeah, yeah I love to work. I mean, I'm already like, you know, uh, I'm already working full time in terms of hours, just about, you know, now, having my, my yearly salary meet that. So my, my girlfriend can stop thinking I'm a loser. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, uh, God bless her. I, uh, yeah. my fiance was in the set when I started YouTube. Mm -hmm. Um, fortunately she was never like, Oh, you're, you're doing YouTube. Like, yeah, everyone's a YouTuber. Everyone's a TikTok influencer. Yeah. Everyone's a Twitter personality or whatever. Everyone's got their, everyone's got their, you know, 1000 followers or whatever they uh you know meet their requirements but uh having a good uh support system around for for stuff like that is is really important anyone who, who wants to get into content if you don't have i mean i wouldn't have gotten to where i was without having friends like dm me and they're like hey you know this is a good video but maybe you should do this a little different or maybe you should uh change this up a little bit and um, and then having them support me and be like, Hey, this video was really good. Or, Hey, so you hit X amount of subscribers or X amount of followers. Like, that's awesome. Um, anyone who wants to get into content, I always say like, you know, lean on your friends and family at the beginning, because in the beginning, that's all you're going to have. You don't have, uh, you don't have fans yet. You don't have supporters. It's not, it's not something that just appears. Like I look at a, a platform like Twitch and, you know, some people have told me like, oh, Alex, you should uh, you should start streaming. And I'm like, what the heck am I going to stream? Like, what are people going to watch for? And uh, I think like Twitch or streaming in general, 
Like the idea for a lot of people to get into streaming with zero platform built already, it's really easy. If you already have a platform, you know, if you have 200,000 subscribers on a YouTube channel or something like that, you know, you're going to be able to be like, hey, go check out my Twitch channel. I'm streaming right now. And, you know, even if 10% of those people decide to tune into your stream, it's like, okay, that's still no, it's a ton. Even more. 20,000. Yeah, yeah 20,000. It's like, <laughs> that's a fantastic start. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, again, this is another bit of a tangent away from basketball, but, you know, leaning on uh, friends and family when you're getting into content is like just so ridiculously important because otherwise it's, it's just not possible, I don't think. I mean, you can you can strike gold, uh, especially with a lot of the platforms today, like TikTok, you know, you can post one TikTok, your first TikTok gets, you know, 10 million views and then all of a sudden you've got 30,000 followers on a platform that you can try and parlay into something else but it's so hard to just build it from the ground up you gotta have a support system no i'm 100 with you i mean like my girlfriend she's uh she dances not not exactly just uh <laughs> thank you for clar- just- <laughs> thanks for clarifying <laughs> yeah i just um you know in a school she danced at eastern michigan university uh go eagles but um <laughs> She's like, so she's kind of like artistic in a way, like similar to me where she's like really passionate about it. So it was easier for her to get into it. Um, you know, credit to her, her father for not bullying me as much as he probably could have for, for knowing a, a guy like me doing stuff like I do. <laughs> but, uh, you know, my friends have always been same thing with you. Like, it's like my friends have always been there for my Twitter friends, you know, the, the, like, there's a lot of toxic people on NBA Twitter, but there's also like this cohort of people that just like constantly uplifting each other. And it's like, it's really cool. And like to the outside observer, it's really weird just cause like how like kind we are to every, to each other. But I don't know. You're right. It's like, it's not going to come up. Like, I don't know. A lot of people know Nikias Duncan. I don't know if you've seen the tweet that came out, it like resurfaced the day he was on the Zach Lowe podcast. You know what I'm yeah, talking about? Yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. he tweeted, I don't know if I'll be able to do this as a living. You know, I just have to accept it. And it's like, it's just preposterous to think that like Nikias Duncan, you know, one of the, he was calling a summer league game like two months ago. Like that's how, how big time he is now. And he, he was able to do it. I'm not saying like, I'm not naive. Like you need luck. You need luck. Definitely. You need Definitely. You need privilege. You need, you need privilege. Cause like you have to go a little while without either, you know, without making money or just a reduced income or your time has to be spent. Like if you have like me and you are lucky where we don't have kids, you know, right now. And it's like a little bit easier for me to go on these, you know, three, four day benders where I don't talk to anyone and I don't sleep that much because I don't have to change diapers, you know, same thing with you where it's like, and um, you're not to get in your business, but you're able to make the moves you've been able to make recently because, you know, you have a support system. You do now have a, a following where you can kind of sustain yourself pretty well. But it's like it's, it's a little bit of risk taking. It's the privilege. It's luck, you know, and it's it's hard work. You got to treat this like a full time job, even if you're not making full time money, because that's the only way that people, you know, they always ask me like. The first thing I'll say is like, how many hours a week do you put in this? And they'll say 10. I'm like, well, there's your problem. I mean, you know, it's not going to, I mean, 10, yeah, you could put in 10 hours a week. I mean, 10 years from now, maybe it'll work out for you. It's got to be like, you got to treat it like a job. You know, you have to treat it like a subject in school. If you want to, you want to be really good at it, you have to put in the time. Yeah. It's, uh, I talked about this with, um, Pierre Peewee, Peewee de plug. Um, mm-hmm. I always feel weird saying that cause like, Saying peewee de plug is, yeah. it's just, it sounds funny coming out, coming off yeah. the tongue. Um, 
But one thing that we talked about, because we kind of talked about the whole focus of the podcast really was about how content needs to be treated, like you said, like a full-time job and uh, you can't approach it as something that's just going to happen overnight because it's very, 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 very rare for that to actually happen. And um, one thing that my dad always told me and I, anyone who listened to the last episode, cause this is actually going to be the second episode of the media pass, whatever. Um, but, uh, I talked about how my dad said, cause my brother and I were really into music growing up. Um, we both played sports and, you know, anytime we kind of got big eyes about, you know, I want to study music in college or I want to, you know, start a band or I want to play for, you know, this orchestra 15 years from now or whatever. Or I want to, I want to play this sport in college or, you know, any number of things. Um, he would always say to us, get a job, go to college, get a degree, get a job, do whatever you want on the side. Obviously for sports, it's a little different, but he was like, do whatever you want on the side, make that your hobby, make that what you do when you come home from work. So you can unwind, go and spend as much time as you want doing that thing and then continue to collect a paycheck and work. He's like, you can put as much time into that thing, that hobby, that passion, whatever it is, as you want, as long as you're just collecting a paycheck on the side. And then eventually, which is, this is what I did was I got a job and then I started my YouTube channel and, you know, just kept working at it until it eventually became something that I'm incredibly blessed enough and fortunate and lucky enough and privileged enough to be to the point where it's something that can sustain me. Um, that is something that is a process. It's not something that happens quickly. And I think for me, the big change in my viewpoint towards it was not to get to like hustle, hashtag hustle culture or anything like that, but, uh, like getting up early, like getting up at 6am and writing videos and recording and editing videos was like, oh yeah, I have to put like 30, 35, 40 hours a week into this on top of my already 40 hour a week job if I want to actually get anywhere. It's like, mm -hmm. I always tell people when I get, cause I get a bunch of DMs from people and they're always like, hey, you know, how'd you, how'd you get your channel to grow? Um, how'd you, how do you edit this? How, how'd you learn to do all this? And et cetera, et cetera. And the thing I always say is the big difference between someone who is able to make it work doing content, for example, um, the big difference between the person who succeeds and the person who fails is that the person who fails just stopped doing it. They gave up. And typically that separates the people who are really passionate about it and really do have like the desire and the drive and the heart to want to do this from the people who don't. And with content specifically, it's one of those things where if you have a full-time job, you don't have to get up early and write a video. You're going to get paid no matter what because you're going to work at 9 a.m. and coming home at 5 and you're going to get your paycheck every couple of weeks. You don't have to get up and do this. You don't have to get up and write a video. But if you love it enough, you're going to because it's what you want to do. It's your dream. It's your passion. It's it's your ultimate goal. And, you know, it's not easy. It's not always fun. You know, editing... <laughs> screen recording 500 clips of Shea Gilgis Alexander mid-range shots is not always enjoyable for me, but it's like, I love it enough. So I'm, I'm going to do it and I'm going to edit it and put it out on YouTube. And, um, 
I don't know. I think the fact that you have gotten to where you've gotten doing content is, is really impressive. Um, and what you're doing is great, man. I'm, I'm blown away. Every single article, I'm like, how did he have the time to do? How many words do you normally aim for? What, what is kind of the prerequisite for these pieces? Because they're pretty, they're pretty they're in long. depth, man. Like I got to, de- yeah. anytime I read one, I'm like, okay, I'm sitting down for a while. I got to read this. <laughs> no, I mean, these ones, so um, one of my, like, my, he, he was like a mentor. I call, I, I think I consider him a friend now. Um, hopefully he considers me a friend, Stefano at sporting news, but I used to always like be up his ass asking questions. And he's like, Matt, for like a regular article, eight to a thousand words, 800 to a thousand words. So that's usually where my like usual articles are. But for this series, just cause I learned so much and like, I try to like, it doesn't look like it, but I reined in a lot. Like there's a lot of like, oh, I nuggets it. I yeah. had. and it's, so I'm trying 2000, I think 2000 words is fair for this. Um, but yeah, these featured pieces, you know, the quotes, they drag on a little bit too. So it's not all me, but uh, this is all like what you said, Alex, it's, it's super well said. Um, I think you are like, I'm not just saying this cause I'm on your podcast <laughs> and we're friends and all that stuff. By the way, we need to talk about Shay off air. I, I yeah. got a, a couple of th- thoughts I wanted to share with you for sure. But um, you're like the kind of, for the YouTube lane, I feel like the, the the model now for kind of how like a young guy young girl young non-conforming person can can you know just i'm i'm in my early 20s i have like a job i have responsibilities but i want to make this work it's kind of like okay i got to get to this guy because he knows like what's up and you're dude you're again not to give too much of your personal life you're 24 right yeah and you're already like giving up the corporate america job that you had so you can do something like awesome. And you know, you said not to get hashtag hustle. I don't consider this hustle culture because hustle culture is like, okay, I'm trying to like, uh, you know, I have my nine to five job and then at night I do like Uber Eats or something so I can make extra money. And there's like people like, it's unfortunate they have families to feed and they have to do that. But like, I'm talking about the people who are like bragging about it. Like, yeah, grind set. No, what, what I think me and you are doing is we're trying to, we're trying to make a life for ourselves where there's meaning to it. First of all, I think we find meaning in the work that we do, but at the same time, like I always tell people, I want to be the guy who's like, who's just always like a fun, like fun time, you know, like I'm not mad because of work because my job is a hobby and like, I'm just able to be, you know, present for people. Because again, like I said, I'm not working like a super stressful job. The hours are long and they're always going to be long, even when we're full time, just because of the nature of like news and how much hours of film we have to watch to do this the right way the podcast and stuff but i don't know i don't consider it a hustle culture but you know i'm really like like you know you say you're impressed with me i'm i'm tw- like three or four times as impressed with you man the fire tweets but one thing i will say and you kind of alluded to it where it's like the guys who keep going the people who keep going the lows of this business are tough man you know oh, yeah like and it's hard because like i don't know it's hard not to compare yourself to others. Like they say, never compare yourself, but you do it. It's like, okay, I posted this new video in your case video. Right. And it's like, why is this not doing as many retweets and likes as this person? Like, I know I put in the work, you know, what's going on here. And it's just like, and it's like hard to be like, why am I doing this? Like, why am I watching these games? Why am I putting in like 80 hours on an article just for X amount of people to read it or X amount of people to watch the video, you know? And so it's just really something you have to keep going. You have to trust. You have to trust the work. Um, my buddy, Mark Schindler, he said that to me one time. He's just like, trust the work. And I guess that's what it's like. Um, 
Shane Battier, you know, when I talked to him, he's like, you got to trust the the data. You got to trust the scouting report. You know, he's like, I'm going to force Kobe to this spot on the floor. And he, he might hit it three, four times in a row, even though that's his least efficient shot. But I just got to trust. Yeah. Like the, the law of average is going to work out. And it's the same thing in this business where it's like, again, the outside variables, you know, privilege, luck, all that. Once you get that in there, right? The work part, you got to trust that too. You got to trust that what I'm doing is getting me towards that goal. And you got to just stay the course. Yeah. Yeah. The lows, the lows are definitely low. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was when I hit a thousand subscribers is like the thing that everyone says, like if, if you're talking to or getting advice from like a YouTuber or anything like that, they're always going to say like, once you get a thousand subscribers, that's when like you can really start to like see the growth and things kind of go like parabolic, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it was shortly after I had a thousand subscribers, I was at like maybe 1300, 1500, something like that. And, uh, I had a bunch of videos that I, that I posted. It was like probably a, seven or eight video span, which, you know, if you're uploading every day, that's not too bad. But, um, for someone who uploads, I was uploading maybe twice a week at that time. Um, you know, a seven or eight video span of just terrible performances is really, really disheartening and um, super discouraging. And, uh, like keeping your head down and continuing to wake up and write, like, even though, you know, like, after you had a stretch of videos, get like 10,000 views each. And then all of a sudden you're not even getting 500 mm-hmm. keeping your head down and still writing and recording and editing throughout all of that is like, okay, your heart's like really in this at that point. Cause you're not doing it because you want the views or the recognition or the, or the subscribers or the followers or the likes or the retweets you're doing it because it's what you love to do. And you know, you'll do it if, a hundred thousand people are watching you'll do it if 50 people are watching. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And I think that's the point. It's like, like me and you, if somebody would say like, Hey Matt, Hey Alex, like we'll pay you like a year's salary. Nobody will watch your stuff. You just, you two talking to each other about it. You could do all the work you do. Like we'll still do it, you know? Cause like the only reason we, we quibble about these like numbers and stuff is cause like we want to like want to do this full time. And that's the only way, like that's how capitalism works. You know, you need to be producing a product that people want like the supply and demand thing so like that's really the only reason to quibble about the numbers if you're really passionate about it but yeah no i'm just you know big fan of yours man um i feel like this is not even like people are not even going to believe like that this is like a podcast it's just like me and you called and we're just like (laughs) having like a bad day and we're just trying to like kiss each other's ass so we can kiss (laughs) it more and then just go home Listen, man, I, I, one, I really, really appreciate you coming on. I know you're a busy guy and this series is, uh, taking up a lot of time for you and you're also a literally a law student. So, um, I really appreciate you coming on. I really enjoyed our conversation. Um, everyone go check out his, uh, his, his series for basketball news. Go check out everything he's done for basketball. Go check out everything he's done in general. It's, uh, it's all really, really great stuff. Um, your analysis is, is second to none. Um, anything you want to plug specifically before we get out of here? Um, I think it's just the easiest way to keep up with me. Follow me on Twitter at um, Mattisa15. So it's at M-A-T-I-S-S-A-15. I can't spell my own name. But um, <laughs> yeah, if you follow me on Twitter, I, you know, I tweet out a lot of stuff about articles, where I'm eating for breakfast, all, all that fun stuff. But uh, no, thank you so much for having me, Alex. Uh, you know, we'll be talking. We talk 
right. talk a lot. So we'll, we'll be talking soon, but it was cool to do this with a microphone officially. Yeah, for sure, man. All right. We'll see you all in the next one. Thank you.